Hello, this is Tom Ray, and this is Real Leadership, Life, Love, and Leadership, and I'm joined with my co-host, Bert Koppel. Hi, Bert. Hi, Tom. How are you doing this uh, this awesome day here in Metro Detroit? Uh, doing fantastic. I just nice, had a great, a great uh, dinner, and so I'm fit as a fiddle right now. I'm happy you had a good dinner, man. Was it anything, like, really exciting or... Something with gravy uh, or bacon? Yeah, well, there was bacon involved, yes. See? And, and it was fantastic. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Anytime bacon is involved. Anytime you can cover up the taste of vegetables with bacon, it's always a good thing. <laughs> yes. Uh, bacon sandwich. Um, yeah, it's really good. Bacon for bread. Yeah, it's all good. So, anyway, <laughs> so uh, jumping into this thing. Uh, so let's start off with a you know attitude of gratitude. Uh, give me something you're sharing about today about something you're thankful for. Yeah, so one thing I'm thankful for today, um, my wife, she uh, she really makes uh, some good efforts in the kitchen. And you were talking about food, so this kind of just goes into goes into that. But today she tried two different things. My wife knows that I'm a big fan of meatloaf, and mm. uh, I know not everybody is. Um, and she tried a new recipe tonight, made a meatloaf in the crock pot, and she did a really good job with it. And um, I just appreciate that her will, her willingness to try new things because my wife does not like meatloaf. It is not her, you know, it's not something that she would choose to make, but she did it just for me, and I appreciate that. But then for dessert, Tom, she made Drumroll. this dessert. It's called a harvest loaf cake. And I know that this is a family tradition in the Ray family, I know your mother made this cake, and dude, it is the bomb. And I am just so thankful that I had a great home cooked meal tonight, and my wife made her world famous harvest loaf cake, and it was just fantastic. So that's what I'm grateful for today. Well, that is incredible. Do you have any samples? <laughs> no, I ate all <laughs> of the samples. I apologize, but I promise you. All, all right. Well, maybe next time. Yep. Well, that that's wonderful. Um, you know, I'm thankful for my fingers to be able to play music. Mm. Um, I I am called to and love to play keyboard, um, amongst other things, obviously, but uh, especially to be able to play music and um, uh, it's it's a gifting, and I I just I love doing. It. I'm very passionate about it, as you know. And so I'm really thankful for my fingers. Right. That's awesome. All right. Yeah. Good stuff. So, uh, all right. So um, we're here, and what a great opportunity to uh, kind of unpack this this other topic for tonight. And uh, why don't you kind of get us going? Yeah, I, I wanted to talk a little bit tonight um, about the importance of making good hires at work or good hires in ministry or even being really selective um, when it comes to finding good volunteers for your nonprofit or the people that you're going to choose to bring into your inner circle. And this really goes back to this, you know, the, the preseason of the, uh, the national football league with the NFL and kind of what went down with Antonio Brown and Tom, are you familiar with who Antonio Brown is in the NFL at all? Uh, just enough to, to know that he was in the news. Okay, there you go. So, so yeah, so Antonio Brown, that's, that's good. So he, he's a wide receiver in the NFL, 
And just to give you some background history, uh, his career really started back between 2007 and 2009. He was a walk-on at Central Michigan University, so he's a local boy, and he played well enough where he was really kind of obscure. He averaged 1,000 yards a season, which is still good. He got on the NFL radar, um, and then in 2010, he starts his career with the Pittsburgh Steelers, and he wasn't considered to be one of the top dozen or so receivers in the draft. He was actually taken in the sixth round by the Steelers. There were 22 other receivers that were drafted ahead of him. So there weren't huge expectations for him, and he actually had a pretty quiet rookie season in 2010. But in 2011 to 2016, Antonio Brown, he really proved to be a steal in the NFL draft. He turned into one of the game's greatest receivers. He made the Pro Bowl in 2011 as a returner, and then he went six more times in six consecutive seasons as a receiver. He led the league in receptions twice. He caught uh, more than 100 passes, had more than 1,000 yards six years in a row. But there were some incidents, and some things began to develop in the 2012 season. For example, in 2012, he gets penalized and fined for running into the end zone backwards for a touchdown. In 2015, he was fined for a touchdown celebration uh, that involved him straddling the goalpost. In 2016, he was fined for celebrating for, for twerking. And then three weeks later, just some stuff that was inappropriate. But those flamboyant celebrations, they actually earned him fans. So he began to develop his own brand, which happens in the NFL. But then 2017 and 2018 roll along, and although he continued to catch passes and score touchdowns, he had a league-leading 15 touchdowns in 2018, he started doing some stuff in Pittsburgh that really took uh, his career for a turn for the worse. He started posting videos of what was happening inside the locker room celebrations. And, of course, things that happen inside locker rooms after football games, before football games, those are moments for the team right? Uh, mm-hmm. Coaches are probably going to say things that are only appropriate for the team and players and vice versa. And he posted a video of head coach Mike Tomlin actually making some remarks about an opponent, opponent that weren't very flattering, but that violated the league's social media policy. But that wouldn't be the last time he would do it over and over again. And then in the past year with the Steelers, he started having this feud with quarterback uh, Ben Roethlisberger, and he ends up sitting out the regular season finale with a playoff berth on the line because of his dispute with the team about whether or not his knee was injured and there's other absence from that. So this leads up to this current year. And I'm sorry for painting the picture, but I just want to show you how someone who had so much immense talent blew it. Right. So in March of this year, after saying it was time to move on, he openly was campaigning, trying to attract other teams he wanted to play for he gets traded to the Oakland Raiders for a third and fifth round pick. And he signs a three-year extension worth about $30 million. On August the 3rd, Brown starts posting pictures of his badly blistered feet. And that was keeping him from practicing during training camp. And news then emerges that his feet were injured when he went into a, a cryogenic therapy chamber. And that's where the temperatures dropped below minus 200 degrees Fahrenheit. It's supposed to be therapeutic but you have to wear the proper footwear, and he didn't do that. So his feet get damaged. He can't practice. Nine days later on, a, on August 12th, he loses a grievance about his helmet. See, the NFL is really big on trying to protect players now from concussions, 
And so right. they have certain helmets you have to wear. So when you take hits, it's supposed to protect your, your brain and your head. Well, it ends up being that Antonio Brown, when he was playing with Pittsburgh, actually had an old helmet, um, an old helmet that was not legal. He actually had it painted to look like the new helmet so he can continue wow. to wear an old equipment. And he brought that same equipment with him to Oakland that was no longer approved. And the team eventually said, no, you, you can't practice with that. So he starts to sit out for all of the preseason because he can't wear his old helmet. So on September the 4th, the Raiders fine him $54,000 for missing practices. And then Brown posts a picture of the letter informing him of the fines online. And he posted it with a caption that said, when your own team wants to hate, but there's no stopping me now, devil is a lie. Then he gets into an altercation with the guy who wrote the letter, Mike Mayock, who's the general manager for the Oakland Raiders, they get into an altercation on the sideline during practice. He punts a ball in an argument and yells at the general manager and tells him to fine him for that. Um, and then he threatens to punch the general manager in the face. Wow. So the very next day, Antonio Brown, he publicly apologizes, which leads to some speculation that maybe the, the dispute had blown over. He says, I'm excited to be part of the Raiders, and I'll see you guys soon. But then the very next day on September the 6th, um, it just it just blows me away. He posts a video on YouTube that includes what appears to be a recording of a phone conversation with his head coach, John Gruden, who asks Brown if he wants to be a Raider and urges him to just play football. Gruden apparently is amused by the incident, but obviously that was a personal phone call that Brown has taken and now made it public once again. So on September the 7th, According to reports, the Raiders, they used language in Brown's contract about behavior and discipline and that they're able to avoid the money guaranteed to the receivers. As a result, um, the Raiders cut Antonio Brown. Basically, he loses $30 million. So he, he gets traded from Pittsburgh because the players can't stand playing with him. He's, he's, he's a cancer in, in the locker room. He goes to the Raiders. He wants to wear an old helmet that's not approved. He, he does things that are not appropriate in terms of practice to get his feet damaged. He skips practice. He threatens to punch the general manager. He loses the contract. And then the very next day, the New England Patriots sign him to a contract. And so within 24 hours, Brown agrees to a one-year deal with the Super Bowl champion New England Patriots, guaranteeing him about $9 million. And once again, it seemed that Brown was going to go on making news primarily on the field. So on September the 10th, three days later, after signing with the Patriots, Antonio Brown was accused in a lawsuit filed in federal court of sexually assaulting and raping a woman who worked as his trainer back in 2017. Of course, he denies the allegations but the league announces that they're going to investigate the manor. September 11th, he participates in his first practice with the Patriots. He ends up playing his first game with the Patriots. And then the, the Patriots then uh, release him after the first game and say they've decided to move on and they thank everyone for uh, the time they invested. And this is just such a sad timeline of, of a, 
professional football player that has immense talent that continues to just get in his own way. Yeah. He he blew it. Antonio Brown blew it. And I don't know of any team now that would want to sign a player that has caused this much angst uh, and drew all this attention to himself. I'm, I'm talking about cancer in the workplace. And, and I know that you and me and everyone listening to this has at one point or another had someone at their place of employment that w- that no matter what happens, when you would get around them, when you would be near them, when you would have conversations with them, it would just always go negative. There was nothing ever, anything positive to say. It was always doom and gloom. Those people are cancer in the workplace. Mm-hmm. And, and if you allow them to stay there, they will literally destroy the culture and the, the the normalcy of a workplace because they burn it down all the time. Can you think, Tom, of in the past of any experiences where you, you know, had to work with somebody or be involved with somebody that was kind of like a cancer in the workplace? Absolutely. Um, quite a few times, as a matter of fact. But one in particular, there's this uh, woman that was um, – you know, a part of the team on once upon a time, and and her attitude was just always in the wrong place. Uh, right. She was always a victim. She, you know, uh, you looked at her the wrong way. You know, she had a, a something to say about it, and uh, you know, always conflict going on, um, fights going on, arguments going on, and. It was this person, and, uh, you know, that person was never the problem, right, according to them. It wasn't them being the problem. It was the others or this workplace or uh, the the job I was assigned or, you know, any number of things. It was never her. Right. Right. And, uh, you know, it came to a head, and we said, well, you know, you're going to have to go, and basically let her go. Uh, and then right immediately, it was like, you know, a, a tornado had now left and there was like quiet and peace. And we've not really had any, had any problems since that person uh, left. So, you know, there's there's something to think about here. If, if people are continually experiencing trouble or facing obstacles, then they need to check to make sure that they are not the problem. Right. Um, you know, and, and I, I see that happening with people in marriages. They jump from marriage to marriage, right? Or from job to job, saying, everywhere I go, th- there's problems in the company. Right. Right? Well, maybe Absolutely. sometimes the problem might be you. Um, yep. People don't like to admit that they need change, right? Yep. And, uh, you know, but if they, and if they do think about change, then they, they think about the cosmetic part of it. But they're not fixing the underlying problem. Um, you know, and, and unfortunate about this gentleman you're talking about today, you know, you hear that uh, expression called uh, live and learn? Yep. Well, in this case, people may be living, but they're not learning. In his case, right. he's living, but not learning. And blowing an incredible opportunity that, that other guys would give their left arm to be a part of the NFL 
Yeah. And he he had the opportunity like nobody's business. It's it's just unfortunate. And uh, you know, one gentleman, I, I I gave him an assignment to do, and uh, he didn't want to do it, and and he even got to the point where he said, "Why don't you do it?" Yep. <laughs> and. I said, well, listen, I'm not going to tell you to do anything I haven't done or wouldn't do, but right. you're here to do a job, and if you don't want to do it, then you can just leave. Yep. What do you mean leave? Why don't you do it? Then I don't have to leave. I can do this over here. But that's not what I want you to do. This is what I want you to do, right? Mm-hmm. And and uh, so at the end of it all, I said, I'm packing. You have to go. And uh, it was for the point of follow the instructions, do what you're told to do, right? And and we're all we all have to do things we don't like to do sometimes, yep. but we do them because it's an assignment. We're growing through the assignment. Um, you know, you you told me of a uh, of a case one time where you had to go and uh, sit outside of a client's house just to add, offer some protection uh, to right. make the person inside the house feel uh, more safe. And it's not something you wanted to do, but it's something you needed to do. You know, sometimes there's things we have to do that we don't like to do. But, you know, in this case, uh, Mr. Brown, he's, uh, you know, trying to do things his own way and painting his helmet and not complying with orders and, uh, the regulations and things like that. And so, you know, he's becoming a, a person that's not being a team player. And, you know, when you when you have a football team, there's no I in team, right? Yeah. And, and so it's important that he plays by the rules. And, uh, you know, most people, you know, try to beat down their own flaws and, or deny them altogether, like in his case, or didn't care. Right. But see, now he's on the other side of it going, okay, that that money tree just died. <laughs> and uh, I, I don't get that windfall anymore. So moving forward. But, uh, you know, the importance here is not to use our flaws as, as an excuse to quit. Um, and unfortunately, uh, he basically, it was almost as if he wanted to be fired. Yeah, well, especially from from the Raiders. I mean, I, I felt like uh, I felt like he wanted to be fired from the Raiders, and then he was thrilled to get signed by the Patriots. But it just his past; he could not escape his past, and it just makes you wonder: did people not do enough research on his past? Right? And here's here's the here's the challenge about workplace cancer. Right? I mean, think about this: when someone gets cancer, okay, that means that there's there's cells inside of their body that are now morphing and changing and doing things that they shouldn't be doing. They're unhealthy cells, right? And w- when does cancer become dangerous, Tom? When you get, when you figure, when someone finds out they have prostate cancer or breast cancer or lung cancer or whatever, what, what's the issue with the cancer? As long as the cancer is localized, they can cut it out. But what happens when the cancer spreads? Uh, metastasize, it goes everywhere. Right. Causes- you know, massive problems within the whole body. Absolutely, and, uh, and, yeah. and so, so if you can, if you know the cancer's there, and it hasn't spread yet, right? Cancer cells cause other healthy cells to become cancerous, 
right? And so if you can if you can stop the cancer once you identify it in an or in an organization or a workplace or a church or a ministry or a nonprofit, if you can identify the cancer and you can cut that cancer out before it infects the rest of the organism, you can save the organism. Uh, now, obviously, when you cut out cancer, there's still pain, right? There's still going to be pain. I mean, there's still going to be hurt. There's still going to be a period of recovery. It's still going to happen. But if you don't cut out the cancer, it begins to spread, and it impacts your culture. It impacts the people around you, uh, and that's detrimental to anybody who's running an organization or a business or in a position of leadership to make sure that they don't allow that you safeguard against cancer within your organization. And I think yeah. what it comes down to is that uh, it comes down to the hiring process. You know, one thing that I've learned and, and you've learned uh, through all of our experience is that there's no such thing as a bad employee. I know that sounds crazy, right? There's no such thing as a bad employee. However, there is such thing as a bad hire. Mm. See, so it, because because we believe in the what do you want to call it? Because we believe in the unlimited potential of everybody, right? Everybody has unlimited yeah. potential. You can't say to an employee, you're a bad employee, but you can say to the person who hired that person, this was a bad hire. Yeah. Because you, the person you hired just might be in the wrong seat on the bus. They might be doing the wrong job. They may not have the skills or the aptitude to do the job they were hired for. But guess what? That's not the, that's not the employee's fault. If right. we bring somebody onto a team and they're not qualified, that's not their fault. That's, that's my fault. If we bring somebody yeah. into a team and they have a bad attitude – well, guess what? That That's still my fault because when you're doing the hiring process, you need to be deliberate and you need to make sure that you're really digging in deep to find out more information about this person to see if they're going to be a right fit. So I had the New England Patriots, and I'm, and I'm sure the Patriots, I mean, they're one of the best teams in the NFL when it comes to evaluating personnel and finding players and digging into their past, but obviously they missed something. Because three days after they signed Antonio Brown, now this woman comes out with a, a rape allegation that happened over three years ago. Mm. And that's not a good thing. The Patriots, the, the Patriots do not tolerate that type of thing in their organization. But, Tom, how does that make you feel? When you hear – go ahead. I'm sorry. You, did I hear someone say that the Patriots kind of have a, a message for uh, bringing people in um, – and, and kind of rehabilitating them uh, as team players and uh, kind of coaching them uh, to be their best self. Uh, they do. The, the Patriots, they, they, you know, they, it's called the Patriot way. And it's a, you know, Bill Belichick has been the head coach now for the Patriots for 20 years. The guy is the most winning, one of the most winningest coaches in NFL history, six Super Bowl champions. No, he's going to go down as probably the greatest head coach in NFL history. Love him or hate him, he will. And but they do. They have a history of bringing uh, veterans, people who have been in the in the league for a while that maybe had problems or issues with other teams, and bringing them over and rehabbing them and helping them get a fresh start. 
A perfect example is Josh Gordon. Uh, Josh Gordon uh, was drafted by the Cleveland Browns, you know, my favorite NFL team. Gordon has an immense talent, so much potential, but he couldn't stay clean when it come to, when it came to uh, smoking marijuana. Couldn't stay, which I don't understand why marijuana is a performance enhancing drug, by the way, in the NFL. I'm not sure you're a better football player uh, when you're smoking pot, but that's that's a different conversation. But the guy could not he could not stay off pot. He was high often, and he kept failing drug tests. And the Browns gave him chance after chance after chance, and they tried to surround him with, with personnel and people to help him. But finally, they let him go. I'm sorry, finally, they traded him to the Patriots for a, a, a low draft pick. And uh, now here he is playing for the Patriots, playing for Tom Brady. Uh, gosh, I mean, the, the Patriots going into the game tonight were 5-0, and and he has a chance to play for a Super Bowl contender this year because the Patriots have a system in place. And I think that's the key, right? Mm-hmm. It's they, are, they recognize there's no such thing as a, as a bad employee. It's only when you have a bad hire. Right. And and I think that's so important. And Tom, you and I just had an opportunity. We worked with a, a small business owner in Livonia, Michigan, uh, who was really looking forward to making a big decision on hiring a potential human resource manager. Uh, why don't you talk a little bit about that situation? There were four candidates that they were looking at, and they brought in our company, Real Leadership Company, to come in and screen these candidates. Talk about what that experience was like for you and, and what we discovered about some of those candidates. Well, it was fantastic because, uh, first of all, these were folks that the company had already interviewed, and um, we were kind of the the last line of defense, if you will. And uh, so we, uh, we sat with them and asked them questions that, probably were not asked at all in, in the interviews. And uh, we asked some probing uh, questions to find out what their uh, work life and and, uh, and their regular life, their balance was, and, and to find out uh, what their passions were. And uh, in this particular situation, all of the new hires weren't familiar with the particular background uh, had never worked in that particular field of of work before, so it was a new uh, place for them. But just to see uh, their ambition and where they were, you know, are they just looking for a paycheck, or are they looking to really uh, promote change and and leave leave a legacy uh, wherever they come and uh, come to work? And uh, a couple of them uh, seemed like they were just looking for a job. Where some others, it's just their their passion about that role, and uh, really loved that. And it was evident within the first, you know, even the first few questions um, that it just shined out. That's their passion, and that um, perhaps putting them in that position. And there were those that, um, to us, to you and I, didn't really appear to be good a good fit for one particular position, but they would be a great fit in another position uh, in the same company, uh, whereas making the company that much more valuable. And um, and so it was, it was really powerful uh, getting to know these people uh, from the standpoint of um, their work history and, 
in their their character uh, as far as you know we could tell based on you know their answers and and so forth and um it was very powerful in the fact that um we were able to uh help the company uh, by giving them um, our data uh our findings and uh it it was really powerful because not only were we able to um, help them hone in on a particular hire, but uh, we were able to uh, end up coaching them. Uh, when we did a de debrief session with the owners, we, we got into a coaching period where right. uh, they, were, they were asking us, who do you think we should hire? And we're like, no, um, who do you think you should hire, right? Because at the end of the day, we walk away, and we don't have to live with that decision. Right. They have to live with it. And and so we wanted to give them the data and the research we came up with, but at the end of the day, they were the ones that needed to make the decision. And so not only was it a, a, a matter of picking the right person uh, that's qualified, quote-unquote, and then they had to... Uh, deal with the, the price or the amount of salary uh, for that person. They had to weigh that out, too. And yeah. so it was, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't have liked to be in their shoes when it comes to that. But on the other hand, if, uh, you know, if I would have had the money, there was people that I would have chosen, um, you know, right off the bat uh, because I, I would have thought they would make, make a good fit. So... Yes, it was a great learning experience for you and I, and uh, it was certainly, I, I think, a great learning experience for the owners as well as we uh, did that debrief session, which turned into a coaching session, and it was just a really powerful moment. Oh, without a doubt. And the one thing that is important is to really make sure that when you do the interview, when you're doing these interviews with these potential candidates, is to, first of all, a lot of small business owners – you don't have a lot of time, right? So you, uh, how many how many times do we go into an interview and we actually, you know, prepare with with a list of 30 questions that are tailored specifically to a candidate based upon uh, their their job history, uh, their education, and their experience, right? Or do we just show up with you know here's the same 10 questions we're going to ask everybody, and uh, that's problematic because if you're interviewing right. five or six different people that all have different personalities. That all have different backgrounds. They all have different expectations. They're all they all have their own map of how their life is working. You can't put everybody into the same ten questions. And I know you right. and I we spend a lot of time developing very specific questions for each candidate. Uh, we also uh, gave them each a behavioral assessment, the uh, the John Maxwell DISC behavioral assessment, so that we were able right. to identify. You know what was their best communication style, and then uh, that allowed us then to to match them up with the owners of the company and the general manager of the company because obviously they may interview really well and they may be great as an individual, but how are they going to work and fit on the team to communicate with others? And we were able to to point out some risk factors of of how this person may or may not communicate effectively with the people that are currently on the team that aren't leaving the team. And uh, the whole concept behind the behavioral interview process is that we as human beings, uh, we're habitual, right? Um, yeah. You know, the way you 
we're firm believers that past performance dictates future results. Mm -hmm. So if you've always done something the same way for the last 20 years, or if, if you, in reflecting back on former jobs, if you struggled with change or you struggled with dealing with critical conversations with other employees, if you struggled with things in former jobs, there's a, a very high likelihood that you're not going to improve or be better on those things in a new job just because it's a new job, because that's part of who you are. It's part of your personality. It's part of the way you've learned to engage people at work. And so when right. we ask those behavioral-based questions, we can dig out uh, some of those problems or we can discover some of those red flags that a lot of business owners just don't have the time to look for or they don't have the background to know what types of probing questions to ask to really get down to the nitty-gritty. And that's one way that uh, you know, a real leadership company can help small business owners when you're looking to make a key investment in your business. If you're going to hire a human resource manager or a sales manager or a sales rep or anybody that's going to have a salary of fifty, sixty, seventy, eighty thousand dollars a year, that's not chump change. And you want to make sure that you're making a good investment up front. Um, the system that that we've developed can give you probability. A probability look at the likelihood of them to be with you at 90 days, at, at 180 days, at 12 months, and uh, and we're happy to do that for business owners or churches or whoever might need to do that. That's just part of what we do at our company. Right, and and it's and it's important to do. I mean, you know, the, the, especially when it comes to a new hire that they just showed up, and and uh, man, I need somebody right now to fill this spot. You know, our, our company's hemorrhaging because we don't have a person, you know, in this particular spot. And, and that can cause um, some owners to panic and choose a person out of haste uh, and instead of properly vetting the person to make sure they're right. I, I know right now a GM in, in the UAW is having a big old strike, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And they're trying to decide on, you know, negotiations here uh, on uh, salaries and whatnot. But in the meantime, the company is hemorrhaging, you know, lots and lots of money. So, uh, you know, it's it's kind of like that. And, and, you know, do we make a hasty decision that may facilitate us for a short time, but in the long run it will be more damage than it would have been had we waited. And so I think that with real leadership coming in and and doing what we did, we were helping this company decide um, on a a new hire that would uh, best fit the company uh, and then those to avoid um, based on the fact that we see uh, that their motives might potentially be for uh, a short season rather than someone being there for the long haul to see the company through its famine, if you will, into a great harvest. Absolutely. Yeah, I just I just thought it was important to talk about this tonight, just in light of what happened with Antonio Brown this year and just the poor decisions that were made. Uh, you know, obviously the Steelers didn't know at first, right? I mean, he's not a bad employee, right? He just he just was not a good hire. Uh, for the Steelers, but when you draft a young player, you try to mold him. And I don't know what happened within the 
the Pittsburgh Steelers organization that that didn't help push this young man in the right direction. But then when the Raiders, you know, accepted the trade for him, and then when the Patriots brought him on board, it was just a bad hire in those situations. And we have an opportunity every day to know that the employees we have at work, there's no bad employees. Sometimes there's just bad hires, and we have to take ownership of that responsibility for it and then help coach up or coach out people out of the business to get them moving on so that they can so they can go be problematic at someone else's business and not yours, unfortunately. But that's yeah. the key is just to always remember that, that cancer does exist in, in a lot of businesses, in organizations, that we have a responsibility as leaders to cut that cancer out. As painful as it's going to be, we have to cut that cancer out. We have to, with surgical precision, remove that cancer before it infects the rest of the, the, rest of the culture and, and the body. Yeah, and, and you said, you know, you also said about uh, coaching it. You know, perhaps we could uh, coach that uh, cancer out, so to speak. Uh, right. And uh, and hopefully that person will be willing to change and, and make the changes necessary. Uh, but, you know, typically if a person's habits don't change, then, you know, they're the cancer that needs to be removed, unfortunately. That's right. Yeah, and that's another thing that's, you know, one thing that we've learned over the years is when you're when you're interviewing people or talking to people, there's attitude and there's aptitude, right? The attitude is their uh, is their desire, you know, their their willingness to do the work, their desire to be their uh, their personality, and then aptitude is the skills and the knowledge, right? You can always train aptitude. You can train somebody how to operate a machine. You can train somebody how to wax a floor. You can train somebody how to process accounts receivables. You can train on aptitude, but it's very, very difficult to train on attitude because attitude is part of that core being of who we are that's formed at a very young age. And uh, and a lot of times businesses, they just don't have the time or the resources to coach on attitude. Um I wish more would because you could see a lot more change for good happening in the workplace. But if you don't have that time to coach on attitude, then you need to do a better job up front of hiring the right people because you can always determine somebody's attitude during the hiring process. If you take the time to develop good questions, to ask good probing questions and to learn about their behavior. And if you do that, you'll make a better hire every time, which means you can, uh, turn your business around, get moving in the right direction quicker, uh, and not have to worry about training on the attitude side of it, but just focus on the aptitude. Awesome, that's good stuff. So, hey, let's let's take a quick twist just for a second. Uh, we've we've kind of talked about this before in a previous podcast, but uh, you know, if a person realizes that it's them that is the problem, uh, then what steps? should that person take uh, to kind of work that issue out of themselves uh, so that they can keep their job as opposed to being cut out of that job? You got any recommendations for that? Yeah, I think that's really tough, though, because a lot of times if, if you're the problem, unless you have somebody in your life that that you trust enough or you have a rapport enough with, that's able to give you honest, open, and and constructive feedback, and you can receive that feedback without getting offended or without being hurt, oftentimes you won't even know that you are the problem. 
right? That we have a right. saying here that we believe, right? If there's a problem, I'm the problem and I can fix the problem. But right. before you can fix the problem, you have to know that you're the problem. Yes. And there's a lot of people who are problems, but they don't know it. They think everybody else is the problem. And you talked about that in your example that you gave of of, uh, of that one person you were, that you were working with at the church, right? Yes. Until that yep. person realizes that they are the problem, they're not going to be able to fix it. And so I would just recommend and suggest that people need to be more self-reflective mm-hmm. of who they are as a person, of their interactions with others, Um and they need to get some coaching or mentoring or training, right? I mean, coaching is perfect because it allows you to sit down with somebody who who is able to give you honest feedback and ask good questions to get you thinking about who you are as a person and to identify those issues that need to be dealt with. And I think that's the best way to do it. And again, unfortunately, most businesses, I, I, I would say I would, 95% of businesses out there do not do effective coaching. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'll do a lot of training. There's a lot of training that goes on, and there's a lot of mentoring that goes on. But when it comes to changing behaviors, right, we know that thoughts and actions drive beliefs, and beliefs drive results. If you want to mm-hmm. change someone's results, you have to change what they what their actions are, but you won't change the actions until you change their thoughts and their beliefs about people, themselves, and others. So I think, number one, you just have to get into a coaching situation where there's someone else. They say, you know, iron sharpens iron, right? Uh, But in this case, it's like sharpening a knife. Um, You need someone to just be that sharpening stone that's going to grind into you and get you to think about those questions and situations that you don't want to deal with, that you you don't want to face. Because when you do that, then you get to see the real you, and then you realize that you are the problem, and you can fix the problem. And until that happens, Tom, it's really difficult to get people who are problematic in the workforce to change because they think everybody else should be changing for them. Right. Yeah, uh, you know, I got this little quote here by Rudolf Dreikers, and he says, we can change our whole life and the attitude of people around us simply by changing ourselves. Mm, Yes. You know, making that change... In ourselves, and as you said, you know, I think John Maxwell he talks about the blind spots, and we don't see our blind spots because we can't see our blind spots, and it's not until it's revealed to us. And if uh, you know, if your HR department is calling you up on the phone saying, "Hey, I need to see you in my office," and they're sitting you in front of them, and uh, to have a discussion about a behavioral issue, um, take note of it because. Yeah. Someone's noticing perhaps a blind spot that you don't see. If you don't correct it, then that problem is going to follow you from one organization to the next, and you're going to find yourself not being effective or not being an asset to a company because you're not willing to change or even look at your your blind spots once they're revealed to you. So that's some very important uh, information for us. You know, I remember this story uh, I wrote in my book, uh, Amir Man's Handbook, uh, and uh, it was a story uh, about this this woman came to the pastor and says, Pastor, I want to get a divorce. And uh, the pastor said, well, 
I'm going to give you the short version of the story. He says, well, why don't you go back to him and, and uh, for the next 30 days treat him like a king and, uh, I mean, just, you know, cook him dinner. I mean, just make him feel so special. She mm-hmm. says, well, why would I do that? He says, well, because at the end of 30 days when you leave him, you're really going to get him good. He, it's going to hit him blindsided. He's not even know what hit him. So she says, okay. So, uh, you know, some 40 days went by, and pastor sees this woman in the, in the hallway of the church, and he says, so, uh, uh, are you going through that with that divorce? She goes, divorce? I would never divorce him. He's changed. Right. Well, he didn't really change. It was her perception. Uh, she changed her attitude, and by changing herself, it changed her attitude. It changed the environment. Sure, her, uh, her husband changed a little bit, but what sure. what really happened was she was making the adjustments in herself because a lot of times we can see our company or our marriage and we can look at all the negatives in it. We cannot be thankful for the opportunity that we have, like Mr. Brown here in the NFL or, or you know, in the company that's, you know, basically – we have a, a great opportunity to grow in, but we're not taking the time to change ourselves. And so instead of changing ourselves and changing those around us, we end up, as you said, being a cancer and infecting um, the people around us and causing yeah. a bad body or a bad uh, culture in the company. Yeah. And so that's, that's kind of the nuts and bolts of this whole thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, good stuff tonight, Tom. I just think that's so important. People need to remember that we, you know, when you own a business, when you run a church, whatever, you're in control of the culture. You're in charge. You are the one who leads the organization, whether you're the owner, the president, the human resource manager, whatever the case is. You set the tone. So you're fully responsible. You have 100% responsibility for the people that you hire that bring into that company. So you have to have 100% responsibility then to either cut that cancer out or coach them up or coach them out. And you have to do it decisively and not let it linger. Just make it happen. Because if you don't, it causes a lot of issues. That's right. Well, do you have any uh, tips or challenges for companies that are kind of in that boat? either looking for new hires or uh, needing to do the the difficult uh, task of uh, letting someone go and knowing that they they may hemorrhage for a little while, but that uh, cutting the cancer out is going to be the best. Yeah, I, I think the biggest. I, I think the biggest advice I can give on that, and Tom, I've had to I've had to fire you know dozens of people in my time as a business owner. Um, I've had to merge a church. Um, because it wasn't doing well financially. So I'm used to making some tough decisions. But here's what I've always found, is when you let go of somebody at at an office uh, or a church that you've determined that is cancerous, and you think it's going to be so painful and it's going to hurt, what you always find out is that when a person goes like that, it always increases the morale of the place where you work at, and you discover that, you know what? you really don't miss that person. You find that yeah. their job is easily absorbed. Other people are more than willing to do it because they understand that things are going to change. The culture is going to get better. 
you just ha- you can't be scared. You can't be scared of doing what needs to be done because when you do the right thing, it'll always benefit your company and the company will always respond effectively and appropriately to cutting the cancer out of the workplace. Yes. That's some good information. So, uh, Bert, why don't you tell folks where they can find out more about us uh, if they're interested in in us uh, assisting them and they're interviewing their new hires and and, uh, some other stuff we have coming up. Absolutely. You can uh, check us out on realleadershipcompany.com. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash realleadershipcompany. Uh, we always are doing mastermind groups in the area. We have our next mastermind group starting up, uh, coming up here on October, oh my goodness, October 19th, 19th. right? October the 19th. It's in Birmingham. It's about $200 for that mastermind group. It's four weeks. It does include Week four is a DISC behavioral analysis, so we'll be able to show you what your most effective communication style is. That's included in that price. It includes breakfast. You can register for that class online and join us. Uh, it'll be a really good time. And then after that one's done, there'll be another mastermind group that starts up, I'm sure, uh, early in uh, 2020, so just be looking for more on that. And we're also looking to uh, to take the show on the road. We have a couple of events possibly coming up here uh, in 2020. Uh, so be looking for uh, the information from our classes, from our Unstuck University uh, uh, curriculum and platform that we're using to teach classes in the community to help people uh, develop their personal leadership skills. So again, you can find all of that at realleadershipcompany.com. Great. Great. And uh, yeah, we'll be happy to to uh, assist you and to walk with you through your the changing whether it be in your company or in your life, uh, where we can coach and uh, and uh, offer some <clears throat> uh, some guidance, if you will, and uh, and just be there for you to see how we can help you and add value to your lives. So, uh, Bert, do you have anything else? No, man, Tom, you have an awesome week. It was great talking to you, brother. You too. And uh, everyone listening, you have a great week. And uh, we'll see you on the next podcast. Thank you for listening to Real Leadership, Life, Love, and Leadership.